into this prison. It was a thousand women. They're all wearing khaki. It's cold, it's cinder block, and no one seems very happy to see me. You know, I felt very alone. I spent three days just sitting in the cell and really just crying and just so broken. And I finally got enough strength to go for a walk. And I went over to the track and I walked around the track and I said, Portia, I had a conversation with myself. I said, you need to get it together. You have a family who loves you. This might be the most important thing you ever do. And as I walked around that track, I knew that I had choices. And I came back to my cell and I made a list of everything I could do in the situation I was in to become an amazing person. <laughs> it was like, that's all I have left. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Connect With Confidence. I am so grateful and excited and a little trepidatious about the conversation I'm having today. I've just made a new connection with Portia Lauder on LinkedIn and immediately I fell in love with her story, her her way of writing and sharing from the heart. I'm like, okay, I love this woman already. She doesn't know me at all. I'm just going to go, hi, can we have a conversation? <laughs> and can we record it and share it with my friends? Because um, <laughs> Portia, welcome. I know that we have such valuable conversation ahead of us and I'm so delighted that you are here. Well, thank you so much for having me, Carrie. I'm excited. Yay. Excited. <laughs> I feel like even in my last sentence, I'm talking to all our friends who are listening and including you at the same time. We're just all here together. Yep. Uh, so some are out running or driving to work or taking some time out, maybe with pen and paper, because I know you're going to have some gems fall out of your mouth. Um, I really want everyone to see your LinkedIn profile and your incredible story. So I lost a chunk of time there this morning and, um, and last week. But I would love to just hear your thoughts on compassion and empathy and the kindness of strangers. So I don't even know what you know about me yet, but you might have seen on my profile that I've written Do Talk to Strangers, How to Connect with Anyone Anywhere, and yes. How to Talk to Strangers to Decrease Anxiety, Build Confidence, Make a Bigger Difference in the World. And I yep. think you would have some really unique examples of those stories. Um, but before we get into your story, do you want to just tell us three things that we wouldn't know about you if we'd been looking through your LinkedIn profile? Oh, <laughs> and then we'll go to like what what people do know of you. <laughs> yes. Okay. David. Okay. Um, if you were looking at my LinkedIn profile, you may not know that I love the sun. I get so much energy from the sun, and that is my way to meditate. So anytime, anywhere, if I need to calm down, I just go sit outside and find that little ray of sun, and that is um, that is my my light, my energy. I just I I love it can't be too hot for me. So oh, wow. um, that's one thing. Two thing. I'm a hula hoop champion. And I know that <laughs> and I'm 51 years old. So, you know, it's been a little while. I have a good story to go with that, but, and um, hmm, third thing, I'm the oldest of seven children and I'm fairly stubborn. So I've been working on that. <laughs> And so coming from a family of seven and you have five kids of your own. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and you just told us your age too. So you have shared plenty for me to pause and get right. So get back to the story, the, the whole okay. story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just threw it all out there. So. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I, love, I do this too. Yeah. Yeah. All good. Yeah. I actually grew up in a small town. So 
kind of out in the country and our family was very creative. So being the oldest of seven, it was like my little tribe, you know, and all those young brothers and sisters. So we, we had lots of fun, not very structured though. It was pretty chaotic. So. Oh, and is this the hula hoop story? No, but I can. Because you said there's a story there. So I'm like. There's a, well, that, that is how I became a good hula hooper. It was growing up in the country, but there's a story to share later that we'll get into that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, just keep us in suspense. Uh, so I grew up in the country also, and I thought maybe we should just do a little geography check. Where are we? So I'm an hour from my parents' farm where they are still okay. farming, and uh, as if they're like 20 years younger. Um, <laughs> and so I live in regional New South Wales, Australia, so about six hours drive from Sydney. So okay. where are you located? So I am I'm in Utah in the United States. Uh, right now I'm fairly close to this the capital, which is Salt Lake City. I grew up m- more in the South End. But if, you are, if you're familiar with the United States, Utah borders Nevada. So maybe Las Vegas, people would know. Um, it's grown a lot. So it's we have big mountains. And the closer states are like California. So you can get to California and get to the ocean pretty quick as well. But yeah, we're on the west side of the United States. Okay, so so with the ocean goes the sunshine, and um, mm-hmm. I love both together. Although I'm hiding in the shade, <laughs> love basking in the sun, but I get sunburnt way too easily. Yeah. <laughs> so so if we're hanging out together, I'll just be on the shady side. You'll be in the umbrella, and I'll be sitting out in the sun. It's like my husband; he's always over there in the shade. <laughs> so yeah. Oh, uh, that's cool. So do you want to tell us about your story? That's that's brought you to this. Um, you know, incredible place on LinkedIn where you're having this impact. I know you're having an impact far beyond there, but um, your your bio um, yeah. would grab people's attention immediately. And uh, can yeah. I just read your bio? Sure, <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Um, formerly incarcerated writer, speaker, photographer, advocate, talks about hashtag prison, hashtag compassion, hashtag grit, and hashtag recovery. So, of yep. course, I went. I need to speak to this woman. <laughs> um, Either run could, or you need to speak to me, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see immediately that you are sharing insights from a place that many of us um, won't be and are happy not to be. Your uh-huh. your gratitude is extraordinary for the moments where you've seen, um, yeah, seen some beautiful things. But um, I'm just going to hand over to you to share your story as you'd like to and I might just butt in with questions every now and then go right ahead okay so I will start a little before um the bio (laughs) I my younger years were pretty chaotic um I was a single mother and really fought my way out of that and got on stable ground and started a company a photography business So my husband and I met, were married. He adopted my two children that I had as a single mom. And we started a life together and life was was going quite well. Um, My business grew. So my photography business was, I was photographing probably two to 300 weddings a year. So if you can imagine, I had employees and I was traveling all over the country. I, yeah, it was, it was really a busy time for me and I had another child, Chad and I had a child together, and then I got pregnant again pretty quick and wasn't planning that. So 
I had two kids that were under the age of two and I had Ooh. nannies. Yeah, it was a lot. So I was just trying and, and some older children and I had a back surgery. And when I, um, I became addicted to prescription drugs. And so, you know, I was trying to manage a lot. And if I can look back at my life and see, you know, what would have been probably the most valuable thing at that point in time was just to be honest with myself because I really wasn't, you know, and, and so I can see this, how much strength comes when you can just, and so on my LinkedIn profile, it says confront the facts. Well, that's first with yourself, you yeah. know, being willing to really take a look at where you're at. And about that time, real estate in the area, well, in the whole United States, probably the world was going crazy. And I started investing, thinking that I would slow down as a photographer and pay off my home or do some things and settle down. But clearly, you know, my judgment wasn't great. I was using a lot of, of pills that were, you know, I just, I was doing risky real estate, involved in risky real estate deals. And I remember some, some gentlemen showing me these real estate deals where you would buy the house and flip it and pull the cash out and invest it in something else. And, you know, I knew I could feel it. It was like, don't do that. And at first I was like, nah, I'm not interested. And then in time they were just big money makers. And I started investing in these types of deals. And so in the United States, we have the FBI, the federal Bureau of investigation. It's not, you don't want to know them personally, <laughs> but they showed up at my house and, um, and I remember I was standing there and I had a three month old baby in my arms and I was terrified. And I said, you can have everything I have. Please just go away. You know, I was just so scared. And, and so <clears throat> it didn't work that way. And they told me that they said, you know, this isn't going to go away. And again, there was a moment for me that I could have said, okay, I made the mistake. Let's take a look at it. What can I do to move forward? And that just isn't what I did. I just kept denying it and hiring attorneys to try to fight it. And it drug on for quite a while. And eventually I walked into a federal courthouse anyway. I was indicted and I knew when I walked in that I was facing, I was facing a zero to seven years was the sentence. And I could feel it that I would, he was going to give me the seven years. And I felt a, a loneliness that I've never felt, a sorrow as I looked back at my husband and my children. And I just it was so devastating and I got up and I apologized and, and that day my husband actually stood up and he advocated for me. He said, please give her time to say goodbye to our children. I know we can get through this, but, and so that was a pretty tender moment for me. I knew that we would get through it together. And so the judge said, I'm, I'll give you eight weeks to say goodbye to your children. And he sentenced me to seven years, which is 84 months. And I can honestly say that my life has never looked the same from that point. Like my whole view shifted. It was kind of like a death for me. My youngest child um, at that point was seven years. So you can imagine that, you know, she was three months old and she's seven years old. So this is already drug on for a long time. And I'm thinking, how could I be away from my daughter for seven years? I mean, as long as she's been alive, you know, it was just surreal for me. In fact, I remember driving home from the courthouse and my husband just saying, Portia, are you okay? What can I do? And I said, I just feel like the worst person, you know, just when, when your own country <laughs> just felt, I just, the reality of, of things, because I hadn't accepted the facts of what, where I was, what I was facing. And so, 
So I got my eight weeks to say goodbye to my kids. My, um, I realized that I had been so foolish. You know, how could I have cared about money, things that were so unimportant to me at this point? And I wondered how the world kept going because it just seemed like it stopped and I was frozen. Um, I remember the last day that I spent with my kids. I, you know, I sat there and I just walked in and I watched each of them sleep. And mm-hmm. I cleaned my house that morning. And my, I just thought, how can I do this? How can I do this? You know, it was just the most painful experience. And then my mother came and took my kids and my husband drove me to California because in Utah, they don't have a federal prison. So it was several hours away from my home. Mm. And I walked into this, this prison. It was a thousand women. They're all wearing khaki. It's cold, it's cinder block, and no one seems very happy to see me. You know, I felt very alone. Mm. And I, I spent three days just sitting in the cell and really just crying and just so broken. And I finally got enough strength to go for a walk. And I went over to the track and I walked around the track and I said, Portia, I had a conversation with myself and probably everybody else thought, what is she doing? But I said, you need to get it together. You have a family who loves you. This might be the most important thing you ever do. And as I walked around that track, I knew that I had choices. And I, and I came back to my cell and I made a list of everything I could do in the situation I was in to become an amazing person. <laughs> it was like, that's all I have left, you know? And so I was like, to be a good listener, to be a good friend, to have honest, open, meaningful relationships with others. You know, they weren't, obviously there's nothing I can do in prison to, to make money or to, but it was all the internal things that, you know, character and principles that I, and I made this list and it evolved over time. And I went over and, and asked for a job in education where I could serve. It was a process. You know, I, my first year, I still think my first year I was in denial where I thought, oh, I am not going to do this much time. And I think we all in prison are because it's just so painful, yeah. so hard to accept, you know? So it took some time. Um, I had some amazing experiences, you know, for me, it was connection. Like I met these beautiful women that had so much more difficult lives. I mean, my whole view just changed. Just like, Oh my goodness, mm. women that are struggling that were reaching out and supporting me. And I found this connection to nature that was just beautiful. I would get up every morning because when you're away from technology and you're away, you know, everything is so simple. It's like when you see the sun come up in the morning, it's just this, it's just so inspiring, you know? And I wondered how I could have missed everything. Like my crazy busy life. I'm like, how did I miss these sunsets and sunrises? And how did I like just, the beauty of a conversation sitting next to somebody on a bench and getting to know their story. Yet I felt like I missed all that prior to going to the prison. So yeah, that was the beginning of a, I spent four and a half years in prison. So it was hard. There were uh, moments of absolute heartbreak and devastation. There were the first time my family came to visit me, you know, they told me I had, um, I had friends in prison. They're like, just so you know, it's going to be so heartbreaking when they leave. And I was like, oh, I can do this. And then I went into visiting and I just felt alive again. 
you know, my family's here and yeah. we're all together. This is who I really am, you know? And then when they walked away, I just felt this sick feeling in my stomach. Like it was so painful. Like for weeks, I was just broken after my family left. And those experiences changed my life. Yeah. They really did. So I think there's something about suffering and walking through your pain that is strengthening and it really does build the compassion you know mm. where you you see somebody else going through it I had one gal her name was bubbles <laughs> I was sitting <laughs> everyone had a nickname in prison but and I didn't even know her and I was sitting at a table um right after I got to prison I was like <laughs> just you know so broken just crying and she looked over at me and she goes it's okay baby just keep breathing the pain will go away and she just, every few minutes, she'd just reach over and grab my hand. It's okay. You're going to be okay. And here I am, someone she doesn't know at all, you know, and that, it was that kind of compassion for me and, and someone that knew what I was going through and could tell me it would get better. Mm. And so the connections and the, the beauty and the, the strength of the women I met was not something I expected. It's not something they show on TV. They show all the hard stuff, you know. <laughs> I was just thinking about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you saw some hard stuff too and encountered some pretty tough individuals, but um, and maybe you unconsciously drew the compassionate people to, <laughs> towards yourself. I was thinking about how, as you said, suffering, it connects people. It, it, it can connect people or people can harden up even more. But I, I think it was in Do Talk to Strangers I wrote about the um, my friend Jane Polisi, who helped me write that book, she shared with me about the Bali bombings that she was just down the road from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we reflected, I think when I was writing the book, maybe it's when there was a, the Boston Marathon bombing. And, it, you know, a, a trauma or, you know, suffering causes some people to run towards, to, to see how can I support, how can, you know, we are in this together. Uh, but if you're sort of on the sidelines, you can, step back or step in and um I just love hearing about those times when someone steps in you know when a multitude of people step in and connect with that suffering whatever that looks like um you know and I I can't imagine um you know this scenario to to the depth that, that you can and that um you know some of your friends from prison you know would readily identify with but um but it's a very human thing also, isn't it? That connection in oh, hardship. It really is. I came to know people and, you know, the thing about prison too, is that we, we all wear the exact same clothes. Nobody's better than anybody else, you know? So yeah. we're all the same. And honestly, by the end of my time, I thought I never want to wear anything but a brown t-shirt again. Like my yeah. life is so beautiful. I have one pair of shoes, four <laughs> t-shirts. I don't have to worry about anything else. We're all the same. And it, it's a leveling thing. Yeah. And it's, and I just love that. You know, I thought things and money and I didn't miss any of that. And, you know, all I cared about was the time that I missed with my kids. And I was concerned. I thought when I get home, they're going to want me to be the money maker. And, you know, the first time I took my daughter to the store, I said, I will spend all day with you, but I'm not going to buy you anything. (laughs) She looked at me kind of funny. She's like, what do you mean? I said, I just love you. I just want to be with you. We can talk, we can walk. 
but I'm not going to spend any money. And that's kind of how it's been for me since I got home. I just don't care about it. I see it as so meaningless in comparison to that connection and real experience. So it changes. Yes. Yeah. And I think for a lot of kids whose parents have been away a lot, they just want the time with you. You know, yeah. we, we think we know what we want and then it's the connection that matters. Right. Yeah. yeah she wanted a new t-shirt, but in the end she got three hours with her mom. Yeah. <laughs> You know, oh goodness. Beautiful. Yeah, I I remember um this little gal that came into prison. She was 26 years old. Uh her name is Christina. She she had I could see her light, I could see her beauty, you know, and I just felt this immediate connection to her. And so they put her in my room and we just we would share each other's stories. And I found out that she had lost her father to suicide and her mother to a drug overdose. Um, she had one child, she was married and her husband was murdered because they were part of just in a really poor community, almost projects type mm-hmm. of community. And so her husband's mother had taken her child and then she had come to prison for, for drug dealing. And she was kind to the elderly inmates. She wasn't trying to, she just would leave sweet notes on everyone's locker. She would take them to breakfast in the morning and we just built this connection of love that, you know, was, was beautiful. And when I left, she threw her arms around me and she goes, Miss Portia, will I see you again? And I said, you'll see me again, you know? And so when she got out, she sent me an email and she said, you can't believe it. But I started college and she said, I made the Dean's list. She goes, a girl like me who, you know, a high school dropped out. I'm in, I'm in school. And I was just so excited. And so, um, the, the judge honored her. They actually had a little ceremony at the court for her because she had been such a success, you know, and I flew out there and sat next to her and I felt the kind of joy that I've never felt. Like it was so much joy. And then she got a job working for this family who has just loved her and taken her in. She was caring for their, their elderly mother and they have, they've, taken her into their family. She's a project manager for their company and she's doing beautiful things in her life. She's reconnected with her son. She called me and she goes, guess what? I'm buying a comforter for my son. She goes, do you know what that means? She goes, do you know how happy I am? She goes, not only do I have a job and I can afford a comforter for my son, he's coming to stay with me, you know? And I just thought that's the kind of joy that I may never have known. Yeah. You know, I mean, my daughter climbs in bed with me and she's 15 years old. And she says, I'm so glad you're here, mom. And I think that's the stuff I used to dream about that yeah. I never would have known how valuable it is. And so would I have, I wouldn't have had these experiences. It was the hardest thing, but it's been so beautiful to, to have these experiences. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sitting here with like tears rolling down my face <laughs> and the biggest <laughs> smile on my face. <laughs> I'm like, don't stop talking because you can see me wiping my eyes. Um, oh gosh, I, I saw that, you know, like in you sharing your stories, you've shared some like really compelling, beautiful stories of connection and compassion. And I noticed the other day, somebody commented about, you know, somebody else who had obviously been incarcerated and he said something like, you know, it wasn't so enjoyable for him. And you said, yeah, I, I, I copied and pasted this because I was like, oh, I'm going to talk about this. He said, I wouldn't call it enjoyable, um, you know, and so we're not going to be envious of your time there. 
at all. Yeah. <laughs> I get that it'll be so hard. But you said, I appreciated the diversity and opportunity to learn from others. The time away gave me the opportunity to heal. And, um, you know, you've really spoken about, you know, and meeting some of your dearest friends in prison because of that deep connection in suffering. Mm-hmm. And there are so many gifts. And I love that you focus on that and you share that. And I wonder, gratitude is such a gift, but it doesn't um, deny that awful things happen or are happening or have happened. So how do you reconcile that? How do you, like, sit with the suffering and, like, do the work that you need to do for healing and hold that gratitude? I, I, I guess I've found that gratitude can actually help us to ignore difficult things that we might need to address. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Can you share your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, well, I'm going to share an experience that may help make sense of that for me or for our listeners. So I, my first two years, even though I had these experiences, I was not happy about being in prison. (laughs) You know, I wanted to go home. I was angry and I really felt like, I mean, I could look at the situation and say, I got the the maximum sentence was that fair? There were a lot of other people, including big banks, that were doing things wrong. It wasn't fair. And I witnessed something that really changed it for me and helped me have a completely different experience in prison. So I was in a therapy class, and a woman got up and said, I want to share uh, an assignment with all of you. And there were about 70 of us in the room. And she made a list of everything she'd ever done to hurt anyone. And she shared it with all of us. And it was hard things to say out loud. Like I wouldn't have been able to say those things out loud. And she made no excuse. And she took 100% responsibility for everything on that list. She said, I lied. I did this. I hurt the people I love. And when she got, you could feel something so powerful in the room when this happened. And at the end, the therapist said, I just have one question what would make you care so much about your recovery that you would stand here today and be so honest? And the woman said, because I've tried everything else but being honest and taking accountability for my life. And I decided that I'm either going to do that or I'm going to die. I have nothing left. And I knew right then that that was something I wanted to do. I was like, oh, I made, I made an inventory that was several pages a spreadsheet. And I put everything I could think of that I had done to hurt anyone and took full responsibility for it. I sent letters to my kids. Please tell me how I've hurt you. My kids felt like, well, the government did mom dirty. And I said, absolutely not. I did this to us. So I took ownership. I had a little group of us in the rec yard. I said, I want to share this with all of you. And then I buried it in the rec yard. And I said, I'm going home free. I'm leaving all my garbage in in prison, you know? What was so neat about that was that there were women that would come up to me and say, I want to do that too, Miss Portia. And they would start sharing their secrets. And so, you know, I had no idea how powerful that would be for me, but it really changed things for me. It unburdened me. It opened my soul so I could connect to others. It gave me so much compassion, not just for others, but for myself. Like Mm -hmm. I had this more objective view. It's like I could remember things that were so painful in in a kinder way and think, well, That was me doing my best. And that was someone else doing their best at that time with what we had. 
And the last part of my sentence was completely different because I felt very free in prison, freer than I'd ever felt. Mm. And I felt um, a lot of gratitude. It was like I had the space for it. And by the end of my prison sentence, I was like, my life is so meaningful in here. I'm worried about going home now because really your circumstances don't define what, how you feel. It's your inside, right? It's your Mm. soul. It's, it's whether your integrity or for me, I learned it's not what anyone else thinks about me. It's what I think about myself. Mm. So if I have total integrity with myself and others, then I can look in the mirror and feel really good about me. And so I'm really careful about being honest and straightforward with people because I know what it feels like to have poor integrity. That's why I was in prison. And so, you know, I believe that it took away the pain, like it really did. So up to that point, the experience was very painful, but by being open and honest and taking accountability for, for what I had done, it was, that wasn't easy, but it changed things for me. And I, I'm able to speak very openly about just about anything because I have made peace with it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a long answer, but you know, I think that that experience was a game changer for me and I witnessed somebody else do it. And it, and I, I, because I felt that power, there's such power in truth, especially mm. with yourself. So, yeah, so I do, I have a lot of compassion. I don't have any pain anymore over the experience. I've walked through that. Um, I, I wrote about it. I mean, I wrote a book as well and I wrote about those painful experiences. I actually kept a journal and I blogged and, and stuff while I was incarcerated. So you know, I remember I can go back and read it and remember where I was because I captured it at the time, but I wasn't there anymore. You know, by the end, I had moved through it. Uh, I got every book I could. I read everything trying to get past it because I was in so much pain. But yeah, yeah, I feel very free from that today. Yeah. Does it feel sometimes like you're reading someone else's journal (laughs) when you read about (laughs) things that you wrote like maybe two years in? You know, it's hard. Yeah, it was actually really hard for me to write the book because I would go back and go, I offend myself. I can't believe I saw things that way. Like I was just, I was kind of angry at first, you know? And so yeah. I would look back and go, oh, why, you know, because I am in such a different place now. Yeah. So, but that was part of the journey. You know, I, I went through those steps and I absolutely believe that we can move through them. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a journey. I'm still you know, figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you, it sounds like you have compassion now for your younger self. Um, I do have compassion yeah. for that girl that was, you know, in prison in that first two years, really struggling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I can hear that. Yeah. You, you kind of want to judge that and just go, Oh, how could you think that? But then you also see how it was that you could think that at the time. Right. Um, it's absolutely fascinating and and this is another moment where I might want to pause and like cut this out because I'm like I just want to be (laughs) like I'm being really honest um I'm on this journey of like deeper honesty like I thought I said to my husband years ago something about being you know authentic or honest and he's just like no you're not I'm like what like I was so offended but he said you know you are to a point yeah but but I still haven't, you know, let people see the real me because it's like probably things that I haven't seen myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And that I haven't allowed myself to see. And it's really interesting, this um, taking responsibility and something I've been thinking about recently 
and kind of can't believe I'm going here, but <laughs> I can see how people just have a conversation with you about anything um, because you can. And it's like, good. It it's so refreshing when you can talk to somebody about anything. Um, but I think culturally, this is something I've noticed, we, we really admire people who will, you know, own their stuff and, um, you know, their mistakes and, um, you know, it's kind of celebrated that, mm-hmm. you know, honestly you're making mistakes and things that you've done wrong. But what about when something has happened to you? We, it's like the, you know, to use the, you know, old religious term, sin and shame. We can talk mm-hmm. about sin and it's like, you know, I did all these things wrong. Right. And people just go, good on you for sharing. You know, you can mm-hmm. step out of that now. You're free from that. Um, yeah. But what about the shame of things that have happened to you? Mm-hmm. It's like to um, to share those things. They're harder because there's this expectation of people saying, well, how did you let that happen to you? So uh, looking looking for that, well, what did you do to attract that mess into your life? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah. Um, and so, it really does. Yeah. It. So the majority of women that I met in prison had suffered extreme trauma, mm. much more than I had. I, have, I had had some pretty serious trauma that I had to work through. And for me, I had to actually go back. I chose to go back while I was in prison. I started having panic attacks because you're just, you can't get away from it. You know, out here, when you have trauma, you can kind of try to, uh, you have distractions, but in there, it's like, I would, I started having flashbacks and, and I thought I gotta, I can't live like this. This is too hard. So I went to, um, the psychology department and I got a book called post-traumatic growth (laughs) that would, that would, that helped me see how this there's actually stages to it to work through it, you know, and it talked about the denial or the safe stage. And, and so I got to a point where I thought I'm going to rewrite out my trauma. (laughs) I'm going to write it out in a more objective form and try to look down on it. And I'm going to calm myself through it. And it really helped (laughs) because I was having these panic attacks, you know, but, but my trauma in comparison to most, um, because I, in some ways I had, I had put myself in the situation where the trauma happened. Most of the women that I met had been either sexually assaulted. I don't think I ever sat in a group where, where there wasn't some, every woman I met had either been sexually assaulted, beat up, um, uh, you know, uh, abused in so many ways. And I think um, for that reason, I see people in prison much different than others. You know, if somebody else saw someone, like you say, that becomes angry, well, of course they become angry. They have been had to protect themselves since they were just a child because yeah. they've been in such abusive situations. Um, I think it is very difficult to share those experiences because they're so tender and, mm. and it takes a lot of trust yeah. with others. You know, for me, I can say, you're right. I can say, yes, I made all of these mistakes and I feel really good about myself at this point. So if somebody says, I mean, I get comments occasionally where somebody's like, why do you think you have the right to talk about it? If you know, they're, they're frustrated or whatever. And I, and I just, I'm okay with that. Cause I'm pretty comfortable with myself, but if I had been abused or it was a trauma that I carried and I, mm. and somebody were to judge that that's too tender for me. So mm. I could understand why it's more difficult. The question is how to find the power to move forward. Really? Mm. You know, mm. when you've been hurt by others um, and I don't know, that, I think that's a real individual thing. Um, I did feel quite honored when people would share their trauma with me in prison. 
mm. you know, that they trusted me that much. And, and I, boy, there were times, there was one night where I literally laid in bed till about two in the morning, just crying because of what I, you know, someone had shared with me, just the thought of how painful that must have been. And I, I don't have the answers, but I do think that when you can connect on that level and you can share that with each other, and maybe somebody can help you carry that a little bit, that it may make it, I felt like it made it easier for her. And it really changed my view of, of people that have suffered that way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it comes back to, you know, the meaningful, authentic, safe conversations, right? You know, and how can we create those spaces for others and for ourselves? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, something I've been a, on a mission um, with for, I don't know, years. I mean, <laughs> like I've been saying on the podcast this year is, you know, the year of meaningful conversations, but it, it always has been, particularly since I started coaching like 18 years ago. Um, yeah, conversations that move people forward. And, yeah, they can be difficult and awkward. Um, but when we're building trust, being trustworthy and and trusting others, and um, yeah, I think being wise in who we connect with and who we talk to, and um, yeah, so you must find yourself very busy now <laughs> with a lot of people <laughs> wanting to. You know, I mean, I see you on LinkedIn, and I'm like, great, please come and talk to me. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So, what do your days look like right now? So, my days are my days are pretty busy. I do a lot of volunteer work. I work in uh, mental health. So I, I work with girls with addiction. I work with kids that are in foster care. I, I'm a mentor in, with people with, uh, trauma, <laughs> trying yeah. to help them work through that. Um, and then I have children and grandchildren and a husband. And so I'm tonight, I'm going to speak at an event and I get calls regularly and I love to do it. Um, I think it's a mission for me to share the humanity of this experience and of people because they're human yeah. and when you know their stories and who they are you can't just lock them away you know and I'm not saying I mean I'm not I'm not suggesting that we undo prison I think prison is actually compassionate for many because it it protects them from the struggle that they're having out here and it saves lives yeah and I've met a lot of people that have improved and done better through their prison experience in the United States, it's still pretty difficult. I don't know about in Australia, but to get a job after you've been incarcerated, you know? Yeah. So I'd like to see that change because some of the women I met, I was like, geez, they're such hard workers. And the fact that they've overcome so much makes them to me quite desirable to employ, yeah. you know? So um, I've seen the difference that it makes when people reach out and support someone that's going through this. Mm. I, so I, I stay engaged in this work. And I want to write another book. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to find the time to do it. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, they're kind of, they're a bit like babies. Like they come when they're ready. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I I had like a date to start working on it and it's long past. So I'm like, it'll, but my other, my first book, I'll have to tell you when I got home, I went back to work as a photographer and I thought, I can't do this anymore. It's not the same. Like I I'm, I've had these amazing experiences. And so I, I took a job making less money working at a treatment center for women with addiction. And I started writing my book, you know, cause I would work 
I'd work through the day and facilitate meetings. And sometimes I'd work a grave shift and I could just work on it. Yeah. And then they were my readers and I would send it in to prison and I'd have the girls read my chapters. <laughs> it was the coolest experience. They would just, oh, we love it. We love it so much. It's because it's stories about, you know, these different encounters. Um, before we leave, I need to tell you my hula hoop story because it's, yes. it's epic. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to tell you in prison, people know how to compete. They're like, whether it's cars or uh, running, there's a lot of really good athletes. And at the prison that I was at, we had this thing called the battle of the units. It's kind of like prison Olympics. <laughs> so like for four weeks, we compete in different events. And then at the end, they add up the points and whoever wins, whichever unit wins. So the housing unit, we compete by housing units, gets to go sit in the auditorium and watch a movie. So I have been in prison long enough to know not to sign up for anything because people are very competitive and I don't want to deal with poor sportsmanship. But I was a leader at that time in our unit. So I was helping the girls work through some of their trauma and, and do some conflict resolution. So I agreed to sign up for the hula hoop competition because I do know that I have the skills, but I also knew how serious the competition would be. So I went down the day, the morning of the competition. I said, take me off the list. I don't want to do this. And the, the lady there, she goes, absolutely not. You're, I said, I'm scared. She goes, who cares? You're going to do it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so we, um, so basically we competed in heats. I had three other teammates and it was hard. I mean, these aren't like big hula hoops. They're like competition hula hoops. So each of the girls made, made it for about 15, 20 seconds. So I went in and now in this case, I did say a little, you know, please universe, help me do my very best. I can't do this alone. I need help. Just help me do my best. I probably, I don't care if I win, just help me do my best. And there's a thousand people in the gym. The whole compound is in the gym screaming and yelling. And the girls that I'm competing with are really good dancers. Like I was 43, four, no, no, I was 46 at the time. And the girls that are in there are like in their twenties and they're really good at this. So I go in and I decided I'm just going to get in the zone. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds funny, but I'm like doing my thing. And I made it 33 minutes on the floor. I'm a champion. <laughs> wow. <laughs> By the end, there's girls screaming, take her out. I will give you commissary to take her out. So yeah, I was a legend on that compound. <laughs> I still, when I write about that, all the girls from from prison will reach out on Facebook and say, Miss Louder, you were the very best, you know? So that's my claim to fame. Is my, yeah. And I don't think I could do that today. It was truly divine intervention for me. But anyway, it was, that's my, my hula hoop story and, and it's sealed in stone and I'll probably never hula hoop again, but I, but, when it really mattered, I was able to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Sounds like um, they'll probably be talking about it every, every time they do competitions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, it was very, nobody expected it out of me because there were just so many better athletes than me. So I think it was just sheer, you know, terror that kept me going. So, so were you, was anyone else still going with their hula hoop that time? Like how much longer did so you go? So 16 girls dropped out and then there was just me and one other girl that made it down to the wire. And then, you know, by the very end, I just, I took the, I took the, the title. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway. It was that that's my my one competition in prison. Other than that, I really did just not get too focused on, you know, I, I walked a lot. 
Yeah. I drink, I drank water. I ate almonds and apples. My diet was simple. My life was simple. And I was as healthy as I've ever been. And I think just the lack of stress being in such a structured environment and spend as much time as I could outside. I, you know, the, some people say you make prison sound amazing. And I'm like, no, it, it's not amazing, but I'm grateful for who I became while I was there and the experiences that I have. So, yeah, that's beautiful. And how long have you been out now? Three years. Yeah. So I've been home three years. I was gone for four and a half. So your husband must get lots of questions too. <laughs> is he a bit yeah. quieter? I haven't seen him on LinkedIn. Yeah. Chad's a bit quieter. He's there, but he doesn't. Yeah. Um, he's kind of an amazing person, you know? Yeah. Um, we just, we grew so much through that experience. I have so much love for Chad and respect for him for getting through that the way he did. He took care of our kids and um, we just, we did it together. And, you know, I had to accept our life would never look the same. And he's kind of accepted that as well. Uh, where we were financially, we'll never be there again. And, and he's okay with that too. So it's been beautiful that we have just let go of so many of the things that we thought were important and really found a different path. We have a lot of joy. It's not always easy for sure. Just like it isn't for anyone. I'll have people ask, how are things with your kids? And I'm like, well, they're just like things with your kids are. They're not always smooth and easy, but they're also, um, but we're growing together and I wouldn't, you know, I'm just learning just like every other mom on the planet, but much, I'm grateful for where we are. I'm grateful to be on the other side of this. So, I mean, yeah. it, it hurt them. It hurt them. They had to, you know, it, it's not over yet. They still have to share with me how much that hurt them. And, and I'm willing to listen because yeah. I want that connection to them. So for me, it's like, tell me, tell me how it hurt you and let's yeah. do it together. You know? Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I could talk to you for so much longer. <laughs> I think we'll have to have another chat another yeah. day, but I know you've got this speaking engagement coming up, which is, um, which is fantastic. It's just beautiful to see how you are sharing the these deep things that you've learned and encouraging so many people and yeah and giving those of us who haven't been where you've been fresh perspective and um you know I think we can learn from situations that are so different from ours because it's the human things that connect us you know it's that compassion and empathy and if we can bring that more into our everyday um you know so I think we've we've got a lot to learn from you and I really oh. appreciate that you're sharing. And uh, how long has your book been out? And I, I love, I can see the, the cover right here. And oh, share, yeah. yeah. Share that too. Um, <laughs> There's a great yeah, so, photo on the cover. Oh, well, yeah. There's a story, but I won't go into it. Yeah. Um, it's been out for a year, I yeah. think, probably this month. Yeah. And I have, I have not done a lot of marketing or anything, but I speak a lot and just I blogged while I was in prison. So when I got out, people asked, you know, are you going to write a book? And so yeah. mostly just on social media, I'm on Facebook. If anyone yeah. has, is going through this, you know, I write letters to people in prison all over the country. I have moms reach out to me. So that's another thing yeah. that I do and I love. That's and fantastic. Yeah. So, so we'll put links in, um, in the show notes and are you still blogging? Or is it like a I LinkedIn? have um, I have a website that some of those blog posts are on and we're re you know I do so much on social media yeah so it kind of makes up for that um, it's PortiaLouder.com and they can find it they can find the book Living Louder it's on Amazon if they're interested 
Yeah. Um, but you can read a lot of those experiences on either Facebook or I just started kind of doing some things with LinkedIn too. So um, I love it. I love connection. Even through social media, I love connection. I get yeah. people that will reach out and share their stories. And I love that we we're just being human together, right? Like, yes. So yeah, I love that. Just being human together. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Portia. And thank you, my friends, for listening. <laughs>